We're in lesson 17 of the study of Romans. We're finishing chapter 6 and we're going into chapter 7. And we found that in the first six chapters is that he first covered our justification. Justification is the declaration by God that our transgressions of Torah have been forgiven. The debt we owed, which was death, was paid by Messiah Yeshua in the first century. And all we have to do is accept this gift of God. Then he covers sanctification. And that's the process by which we're being recreated into the image of Messiah. We're now in Messiah. And because we're in Messiah, our sin nature is no longer our master, but we are now alive in Messiah. He is our master, our new master. And in chapter 6, Paul has been telling us that we are dead to our old master and we are now alive in Messiah. That we actually died to our old selves and we were raised alive with him and in him. And that's why he said in verse 8 of chapter 6, he says, Now if we died with Messiah, we believe that we will also live with him For we know that since Messiah was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul tells us that we died with Messiah, and since Messiah died, death no longer has mastery over him. That means that if we died with him, The wages of sin, which is death, no longer has mastery over us either. We've been set free from the consequences of our transgressions of God's law, which was death. We're set free from the cycle of sin and death that the world has been under since Adam. There's a cycle of sin and death, and we can see that cycle in the temple services. Each Yom Kippur, the high priest would offer sin offerings for the sins of the people for the last year. And he had to do it each year because even though the sins were forgiven for the last year, new sins were committed the following year and that was a cycle of sin and death. We're free because Messiah offered himself once and for all. Does that mean that since we're free from the consequences of sin that we should go on sinning? Well, Paul, anticipating that response, says this in chapter 6 and verse 11, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Messiah Yeshua. And then later in verse 15 he says, What then shall we say? What, sh- what then shall we sin? Because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Because we've been forgiven, we should no longer sin. Which remember, you know, John told us is sin is transgression of God's law or his Torah. We should no longer sin because our old master, the sin nature, is dead. And how can we live in what is dead? We can't. 
We're now alive in Messiah who never transgressed God's law and with his guidance we can now do the same. Remember, with our old master, the sin nature and control, we couldn't say no to sin. But with Messiah directing our lives, he will keep us from transgressing God's law. We can now say no to sin. And so he concludes the chapter with this. He says in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. And notice he says over and over, in Messiah Yeshua. Here he says, in Messiah Yeshua, I Lord. I told you a few weeks ago. If you want to do the really, a really faith-building study, then study this phrase, in Messiah, or sometimes it's in Messiah Yeshua, sometimes it's just in Him. But it's used by Paul over 50 times because it's his way of telling us our new position, our new status. We are now in Messiah. And we got there because our debt has been paid. God declared our sins forgiven. And we remain because we're being sanctified. We're becoming like Messiah because we are in him and he is in us. Sin separates you from God and Messiah keeps you from sin. He says, for the gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. And you, you know, you really need to look up the meaning of the word here, Lord. It's more than just a title. It has meaning. It's the Greek word kyrios, and I put it up here for you. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. He's a master, the owner, the one in control of the person, the master. Paul is telling us that we have eternal life in Messiah, our master, our owner, the one who's in control of our lives. No longer is the sin nature in control, but now in Messiah, your new master controls your life. And in him is no sin. You see, if you consider grace a license to sin and you continue in sin, then your sin nature remains your master. He's in control. And you are not in Messiah. He is not your master. Because John says, as John says in 1 John 3, 5, in him is no sin. Paul really terms this sanctification we're undergoing as being in Messiah. And the only way you can be in Messiah is if he is your master. And that's what he's brought forth in chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, he's going to continue. And in verse 1, he says, Do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to men who know the law. The law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. Now, this is a really simple concept that everybody should grab a hold of. But it's followed by a more difficult statement. I mean, all of us should understand that once you die... You're no longer subject to the Torah. You're free from the commandments. And you've even paid the consequences for your transgressions of the law. The wages of sin of death and you've died. There is no command in the Torah for someone who's dead. 
The commands are for the living. And the rabbis knew this. They said the same thing. I found this tradition in Shabbat 38. It says, As to what David said, the dead praise not the Lord. This is what he meant. Let a man always engage in Torah and good deeds before he dies. For as soon as he dies, he is restrained from the practice of Torah and good deeds. And the Holy One, blessed be he, finds nothing to praise in him. And thus, our Yohanan said, what is meant by the verse, among the dead I am free. Once a man dies, he becomes free of Torah and good deeds. You're set free from the commandments of the Torah by death. Once you die, you can no longer violate Torah. You can no longer obey Torah. You're dead. So the Torah has, no longer has authority over you. You can neither obey or disobey. And not only that, your debt for the violations of Torah has been paid. You're dead. However, what does Yeshua promise those who accept him? That he doesn't promise sinners who do not accept him. A resurrection to life. If Yeshua is your master, you'll be resurrected to life. Debt paid. Those who do not know Yeshua and the sin nature is their master will not be resurrected to life, but to punishment. That's what Yeshua told us in Matthew chapter 25. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Pretty simple, right? And it's all based on dying and being resurrected. That's what makes immersion such an amazing shadow and why Paul used it. You die with Messiah through immersion. You go into the water, a place where you cannot survive. If you remain there, you would die. So you die and you come up out of the water. You are resurrected to life, born again. You've died with Messiah and been given a new life. A life that you can now live for God. Something else here. Notice he says, I speak to men who know the Torah. So is he speaking to Jewish men alone here who know the Torah? After all, he did say brothers or brethren. So is he speaking to just his Jewish brothers who know Torah? Not at all. The term brothers is used by Paul throughout his letters for those who are in Messiah, both Jew and non-Jew. These Romans, both knew it, Jew and non-Jew, knew the Torah. Now ask yourself, how do Gen- Roman Gentiles know the Torah? Well, simple. We were told in the book of Acts, chapter 15, the Torah was read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So ask yourself this, was it read in the Messianic communities who were forced to leave the synagogues at one time or another? Well, yes, it was. I want you to think about something for a moment because I don't think we Christians really think much. (laughs) Think about this, though. This letter is being written, most feel, around the mid-50s of the first century. The first gospel was written around the same time. Uh, around the mid-50s, in fact, even a little later, around 60. And so the good news has been going out and people have been being saved from the 30 common era up till now, the mid-50s common era, when this is being written. So what do you suppose those folks did at their gatherings on the Sabbath day? Do you suppose the preacher got up each week, 
for those 20 or so years before Paul sent this letter saying, brothers, friends, be patient because our dear brother Paul will send us a letter soon and then we'll have some scripture to read. <laughs> Laughable, right? No, they read the scriptures. They read the Torah and the prophets each week. They sang the Psalms each week, just as the Jewish people have been doing for centuries. And the point is, they all knew scripture. And so they could test what Paul said to them. That's why Acts says this in chapter 17 and verse 10. It says, As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of much more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness. They examined scriptures every day to see if what Paul said to them was true. Many Jews believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and Greek men. It says they examined scriptures every day to see if Paul, what Paul was saying was true. That means they went over to the ark, they took out the Torah scroll, they looked inside to see if what Paul was telling them was the truth or was this fellow a heretic. That, my friend, is what makes what Joseph Prince wrote in his book so sad. Remember what he said? I'm going to read it for you again. He says, That is why when it comes to reading the Bible, I always encourage new believers in the church to begin with the letters of Paul. You see, it's totally backward. Totally backward thinking on the part of Prince. No, these men were not going to take what Paul said at face value. They knew the Torah and they examined the Torah to determine if what Paul said was true. It also makes those who say Paul strayed from the Torah a bit foolish as well because we're told that what he taught was in agreement with the rest of Scripture because the Bereans checked him out and believed. Well, I'm going to say this. The Romans aren't going to take what he says at face value either. So he's going to give them another argument. Sadly, this argument escapes most of us in the church today because we don't know Torah. And you have to remember as we continue now, he's trying to prove this point, the point that we just read a few minutes ago. Do you not know, brothers, that the law has authority over a man as long as he lives? That's what he's trying to prove. That's what the example is about to prove. And so he says this in verse 2. For the married woman is bound to a living husband by law. But if the husband should die, the law concerning the husband ceases to apply to her. So if she were joined to another man while the husband lives, then she would be called an adulteress. But if the husband were to die, she's released from the law so that she would not be an adulteress if she became the wife of another man. Now, the first mistake most people make when reading this passage is they treat it like a parable. And they, each element, remember, each element of a parable represents something or someone in life. That is not the case here. Each element is not a direct example. If it were a direct example whereby the person represents a person in life, he would have said something like he did in chapter 6 and verse 10. He says this, The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, and the life he lives, he lived to God in the same way. 
Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Messiah Yeshua. You see, here he makes a direct correlation. And what does he say? In the same way. But not in chapter 7. He just says four. Because this is an example from the Torah. If you were going to make it a direct correlation, think about it. If you were going to make this a direct correlation, who would the husband in the illustration be? He'd have to be us. Because he's trying to show that we died to the law and the husband's the one who dies. Who would the woman have to be? Again, it'd have to be us because we're set free and the woman is set free. You see, it doesn't work. This is a mere example from the law using a specific law from the Torah on marriage. And he's using it to show that the Torah has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives, but when he dies, it no longer has jurisdiction over him. Debt paid. There are no commands given to those who are dead, only to those who are living. So first understand that he's not trying to show that we died to Torah itself, but what is he trying to show that we died to? Well, he's going to tell us in chapter 8, he's been telling us that it's our old nature, but he's going to tell us in chapter 8, verse 1, this, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. We died. We're set free from the condemnation of the Torah, which is death. We died with Messiah when we went into the water, but we didn't remain dead. We rose again to new life. And the life we live, we can now live for God. How do you live for God? Well, you open up his word. As Yeshua did, you live according to the Torah. Listen again to what he says. He said, so if she were joined to another man while her husband lives, then she would be called an adulteress. Okay, so if she marries a man while her husband is alive, she's subject to the condemnation of the law, which is death. The penalty for adultery is death. Then he said, but if the husband were to die, she's released from the law so that she would not be called an adulteress if she became the wife of another man. So the husband dies, she's released from that condemnation of the law, that would, the condemnation that would uh, come to her if he were alive and she was to marry another man. What would happen to her? Well, again, that, she would die. She'd be put to death. She'd be stoned. That's the, that's the penalty. Now, let me ask you this. If, after her husband dies, and she marries another man, having been released from the law of the dead husband, is she still subject to the same Torah commandment after she marries another man? Well, yes, she is. If she marries again, she's only gone from one master to a new master. The same law applies to her And her new husband, he is now her master. And if she's caught with another man after that, she would suffer the same penalty, death. In the same way, we've died to the penalty of the law or the condemnation of the Torah, which was death. We died with Messiah through our acceptance of him and through immersion. And if we would have remained dead, we would have been released. But there's just one more thing we need to see. We didn't remain dead, right? We rose up out of the water to newness of life. We did not remain dead. We died like... So like the illustration, we can now live for our new husband. Right? It's not too hard, is it? 
Now that we've been raised with our new husband, just like the illustration, does the law still apply? Yes, it does. We've been put to death, our flesh, our sin nature, but now we can live for God. And how do we live for God? We live as Messiah lived. We no longer are slaves to our old master. He died. We are now slaves to our new master, Messiah, which he will say exactly that. Listen, in verse 4, he says, So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Messiah so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore the fruit for death. So he makes his point. He says, so also you've died, you've died, and now you're free to marry another. And when you are bound to the new husband, you are bound by the same marriage law. What is dead is not the law, it remains. It's not the commandment concerning marriage that dies, it's your old master that died. If we set this back, think about it, if we set this back into the context of the first century and what Paul is dealing with, we can see a little better what he's saying. Think about this. When a Gentile became a proselyte to Judaism, he would go through immersion, down in the water, it was seen as his death. And when he arose up out of the water, he was said to have been born again, this time a Jew, a son of the commandment, so to speak. And when he came out of the water, he was now bound to the Torah, and not just the Torah, but the Torah as the Jewish people kept Torah. They walked it out according to the traditions of their fathers, and as long as he kept the Torah and committed no violation that would get him cut off from his people, he was counted as part of the nation of Israel, and thereby entitled to the world to come. Of course, we know, and Paul knows, that that is not true. And that's actually what he's fighting against in his letters to the Galatians and the Romans. But, though it's not true, what is true is this. In the same way, when you were saved and baptized, you went down into the water and died. And when you came up onto the water, you were born again. And the major difference is this. You were bound to Yeshua. You weren't bound to keep Torah as the Jewish people kept Torah, no matter if you were Gentile or if you were a Jew. But you were bound to keep Torah as your husband, and the Messiah Yeshua keeps Torah through the spirit of the living God. That's why, read what Yeshua says when he says, go make many disciples. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. You were dead in the water, and when you came out, you were alive in Messiah Yeshua, bound to Yeshua when you came out. You died to the sin nature, just as the proselyte died to his former nationality. You became part of Yeshua's Kehillah just as the proselyte became a Jew. Did the law change? Does obeying Yeshua mean you no longer have to live by Torah? Not at all. Yeshua kept Torah and taught his disciples to keep Torah more perfectly. So what really died, what is really dead, is your old master, the flesh, the sin nature, 
Your new master is Yeshua. And what did he say? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In him, you will sin no more. You can't be cut off. Your sin nature was once your master. Listen to what he said in chapter 6. In verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things that result in death. That's what you reaped. Let me say something. You know, there is nothing in your life that God can't use for good. One of the things in my life that I would do anything to erase, one of those things that, as the text says, I'm ashamed of that resulted in death, God used for good in that it really is the greatest lesson for me. It helps me understand exactly what Paul is saying. Because of the course my life took, I can understand better than I think than most exactly what he's saying. And I'm going to give my testimony so that you can see that. You know, I was an addict. You've all heard my testimony. As an addict, I was a slave. And the slavery, that slavery led to death. Understand that when you are an addict, you are a slave to the drug or the drugs and the one who supplies the drug. There's nothing you won't do to obtain the drug. You're a slave. You'll pay the price the person's asked. You'll do anything to get it. A great example of that is smoking. You know, smoking's addictive. The government thinks they can tax cigarettes, cigarette smoking out of existence, but it won't work because the people are addicted and the addict will pay whatever it takes. You know, in my lifetime, cigarettes have gone from 25 cents a pack to $8 a pack, more than three times the rate of inflation. People still smoke because an addict will pay whatever it takes, even if it takes all he has. If the one who supplies the addict's drugs tells you to go steal, you'll go steal. Women who are caught up in prostitution are often controlled by addiction. They'll do whatever it takes, no matter how degrading, to maintain the addiction. Now, if you ask an addict, are you in control or are you a slave to the drug? He'll always say, hey, I'm I'm not. An addict will tell you, I can quit whenever I want. But that's not true. I can tell you, I wasn't in control. I was a slave before knowing Yeshua. Before uh, I knew Yeshua, I'd been to the doctor. He told me, if you don't quit, you're going to die because your liver isn't functioning as it should any longer. Didn't stop me. I didn't care. I once told my mother, you know, I'm going to quit drinking. She told her husband and he said, yeah, sure, if he lives long enough. He knew I had no control, but I was a slave, even to death. I didn't care. It wasn't until I stood in the field that night and said, Lord, I made a mess out of my life. I can't go on. I'm not in control. I need your help. You see, when I gave up control, I was set free from my old nature. When I woke up in the next morning, I was no longer an addict. For the first time in my life, I was free because I was now in Messiah. He was in control. And I was now free to live for God. You see, that's exactly the point Paul is trying to make here. The night I became united with the word of God made flesh, he became my new master, and in that master I was free to serve God. 
Did the law still apply? Did the things that I had done, were they still sinful? Would they still be sinful again? Yes, they were. But the death that they had brought to my life had been canceled through Messiah's death. The addiction had been canceled because by his sacrifice we are healed. And the sin nature was no longer my master. I could now live for God. I could do something that I could never do before. I could look in the scripture where it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I could love him. Where before I could only love the drug. I could look in the word where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I could because I was no longer looking for ways to take advantage of my neighbor to feed my habit. I was set free from myself to serve God in Messiah. You see, I was set free from that cycle of the law of sin and death so that I might now live for God. How do you live for God? Well, you go into the Word and you find out what pleases Him. Like, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you are to labor, but the seventh day is a day of rest for you. And what do you do? You observe and remember. Right? And I don't do it on my own because as history showed, as I just showed you my history, I was unable to do it. But now, thanks be to my beloved Messiah Yeshua, who is now my master, I can do it. He indwells my spirit. He indwells me. He directs me to live a life in compliance with his Torah. I'm no longer on my own, which led to failure. But through him, I can say no to things that I could not say no to before. Listen, if I had looked in the Torah on my own while I was an addict and I saw, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, I could never have done that. Because when the Sabbath came, I was still a slave and I had to go out and do the same things I did yesterday. I had to go out and get what I needed. I was helpless to stop because I was caught in a cycle of sin and death. But thanks be to Yeshua who set me free. He set me free from the law of sin and death and gave me life in him. And that's why Paul says in 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua because through Messiah Yeshua, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is this. You cannot keep the law. You will sin and that sin brings death. The law of the Spirit is Yeshua in you helping you to keep that same law so that it no longer brings you death. The Spirit has set me free and I can now say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so Paul says next next in verse 6, he says, But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. We have been released from keeping the Torah on our own through the written code. We can now serve, or we could now we could say, we can now keep Torah the new way by the Spirit of God indwelling our hearts. 
That's in perfect agreement with the new covenant that we read a few weeks ago. We haven't had a law change according to the new covenant. We've had a heart change. Amen?